0: we've been dealing with the life of David, and uh, we're kind of taking our time on this because there's just so much truth to consider on the life of David. David, um, one of my favorite characters of the Bible, uh, really is just a picture of the grace believer in the Old Testament, and we are going to continue on this subject of friendship today, and then next Sunday we're going to talk about Uh, defective friendships or unhealthy relationships, and I think all of us could preach a message about that because we've all had that experience, but I'd like just to talk about the relationship today that David and Jonathan had, and then next Sunday talk about the relationship that Saul and David had, King Saul. And so today I want to just talk about seven traits or seven characteristics of a godly healthy uh, relationship or friendship all of us have relationships correct we've been created to have relationships Uh, we were made and we were talking with some folks before the service this morning we were made to be a part of a body of people that have mission and purpose and vision where there's mutual edification in Ephesians chapter 4 11 through 16 we were made for a, a local church And I think one of the first things that the devil would like to do in our lives um, to get us in a place where we're not healthy and we're not ready to face our calling or face the world that we live in and that we work in and that we live and breathe in is to get us separated from the edification of the body of Christ and the edification of the church. Another thing he wants to do is he wants to create he wants to destroy a church so that it 's not a place of edification and we all know that he wants to target churches target pastors, target uh, folks that serve in the church to create an atmosphere in the church where it 's not edifying so that people do not get built up so that people are spiritually anemic but I don 't want to talk about that this morning I want to talk about godly friendship and these are seven things, whenever you look at your relationships, you can go through these seven points and kind of look at it like, is this person a godly friend in my life? And as Kyle had said, and I loved how he said it, was that Jesus is the greatest example of a friend, isn't he? He's the greatest example of a friend. A friend in Luke chapter 7, verse 33 and verse 34. And of course, I'm going to use Bible verses this morning, and if you're writing, if you're taking notes and you can't turn the pages so quickly, just write the verse down and look at it later. But in Luke 7, verse 33, verse 34, Jesus was a friend of who? The rich and famous? The spiritual and people with no problems? No, he was friends with the publicans. Publicans were people that were just, when we were growing up, and that was like a thousand years ago, cars had not been yet invented, uh, we used to call them townies. These are people that just hung out. These are just people that hung out downtown and just created a lot of trouble. And Jesus hung out with these people, the publicans and sinners. And so if you consider yourself in that category today of someone who is a sinner, a not a perfect person, a person that has failed a lot in your life, then Jesus Christ is your friend and wants to be your friend. Think of it. And, you know, I spoke with, um, I spoke with uh, a person who was gay a few weeks ago, and they asked me, um, you know, does your church love gay people? And I don't want to talk about this right now. I want to save this for later. And I said, yes, of course we do. And they brought up a very interesting point. They never came to our church, but they made an interesting point that made me think that, that they said, well, I, we believe in a God that is a God of love. And I was talking with them a little bit about that, and and the conversation ended, and they went their way, and I thought, you know, a lot of people do not understand that God is a God of true love and of truth. And what happens is, is that when churches today are faced with the changing aspects of society, uh, many Christians do not know how to share and reveal the love of God to people like homosexuals. And the church has become a... Uh, has become reputed in a lot of ways that it's homophobic or against gays. And I want to just say that... And again, I, I don't want to get into this today, but I want to say that that God loves people, anybody. And And just because... Uh, They are, people are of different kinds of situations in their life. It doesn't mean that God does not love them. It just means that some people do not know the love of God and they don't receive it in their life. And I think a person that is um, looking for an extramarital affair or looking for a prostitute or some type of lifestyle that involves... um, something that's outside of the boundaries of what we call healthy relationships and healthy marriages, what are they looking for? They are looking truly for the true love of God and they just don't know it. And when someone says to me that they believe in a God of love, what they are really saying is that they are looking for a God that will truly love them and love them according to truth and not according to What they how they want it. I want I want to talk about this at another time. But um, I I know I understand that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is outside of God's order, and we could we could share but verses say that in Leviticus 17 and other Romans chapter one, Romans chapter two. So we don't we don't facilitate homosexuality in our church. We also don't we're not haters of these people either. God loves them just as much as He loves the drug addict or the rich and famous uh, ri- person who has no need for God or no problems in his life. The corporate CEO—they're all—we're all in the same boat without Christ. And and uh, maybe sometime we can spend a little more time on that subject. But I think that um, that this is a subject that we probably should hit because it's it's not. Really talked about in a lot of churches, and I think that we want to grow in how God loves everybody and how we can minister to people at the same time knowing how to communicate to them and not being afraid and pushing people away because we're just maybe embarrassed about their lifestyle or we don't know how to deal with them. So, Jesus Christ was the greatest friend of publicans and sinners. Think of this. Jesus Christ knows everything about us. Everything he knows. I mean, there are things that our parents don't even know about us. But Jesus knows these things. And one of my favorite verses in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says that God knows everything. He, he, he knows everything that has happened or will happen in our life, and yet he still loves us. And this creates great confidence in our life that if Jesus Christ already knows all the dark places in a person's soul, that love still loves us and wants to convert us into Christ's image. This creates great confidence in Proverbs 18, verse 24, that Jesus Christ is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is much closer to us than a brother. And that means that, you know, brothers and sisters that are genetically very close to us. They're like, you know, sometimes you look at your brother or sister and you can see a lot of similarities. But Jesus Christ is closer to us than our own genetic history, our own genetic design. Jesus Christ is closer to us than our own family is to us. That's quite an amazing thing. And that's why sometimes when we are walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're making decisions that may actually not go in the trend of the way our family has decided. And that may be a bit painful. But Jesus Christ is our friend, and He never leaves us, and He never forsakes us. The most sacred relationships, the most awesome relationships that we have are with people that have gone through the cross. And What does that mean? It means that many people do not have real friendships because they haven't allowed their relationships to go through the cross. When a friendship goes through the cross... The flesh and the self-life, our ego life, our self-preservation, our opinions, goes through the death of the cross. And this means that it's crucified and it's buried. We talked about that last week, that we go through the cross. And at the other end of the cross, Jesus Christ is exalted and lifted up inside of us. And so in our friendships, there is an exalted Christ and not our self-life, and, or, and not our, our flesh. Sometimes that will happen. Sometimes we'll have friends that will be in the flesh momentarily. All of us will be in that place. And that's when we have to apply the cross and see them not as who they are in the flesh, but who they are in Christ. Because the flesh was crucified. Their personal defects have been crucified and judged and buried by Jesus Christ. And so now we can see them according to the cross, but I don't want to stay on I want to move on here. The Bible says in John 15 verse 13 that the greatest friendship is manifested when someone lays down his life for a friend. You know, when we come to church, when we make ourselves available to serve one another in the church in any way, whether it's cleaning the floor, mowing the grass, or preaching the message, or singing, we are laying down our lives for the brethren. We are laying our lives down in a way that we are making ourselves vulnerable, and, you know, pray for those folks that are serving, in it, whether, you, whether you bring in the bread and the, and the, uh, and the goods from the, uh, from the store for our little mini uh, food bank here, or if you're doing something in the kitchen, or whatever you're doing here, pray for these people, because they make themselves vulnerable in a sense that they are laying down their lives for the church here. And we really appreciate each person that does that. Jesus said that in John 15, verse 14 and 15, he said that you are my friends. That's amazing because people look at God and look at Jesus as master-servant relationship. They look at God in a sense of like fearful way, that God is scary. But Jesus said, you are my friends. And You are not my servant, because if you were only my servant, then you would not know what's happening in my mind. Jesus says friendship, and friendship means that God wants to communicate to us his mind. I have called you friends because I have told you, Jesus said in this verse, every single thing that my Father has told me. So what are the seven characteristics of a godly friendship? I want to go through these um, together with you number one and some of these we mentioned last week but I want to go over them more specifically godly friends love sacrificially and we're going to see all of these seven traits in the life and the friendship of Jonathan and David first Samuel chapter 18 verses one through five and let's read this together we turn there at the beginning of the message but let's read this together first Samuel chapter 18 verses one through five And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go, no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the, over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. See that Jonathan loved David. Why? Jonathan saw something in David that David did not see himself. That's, that's a big point there. True friends will see things in you that you don't even see in yourself. And that's why we love sacrificially. We pay the price. Parents know this really well, don't don't they? That they see something in their kids or in their grandkids that maybe other people don't see and the kids themselves don't even see. Really pray for kids these days because they're, they face so much. And uh, it's been so in my heart, like children, and what, what, are, what does God want to do with kids and young people and teenagers and And our vision, by the grace of God, is that by this time next year that we would have our second floor done, youth center, Sunday school classes up there, game room, really pray for that because it's going to take some miracles. But Jesus Christ sees in you something that we don't even see in ourselves. He sees the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus sees in you. When you look at yourself, look at yourself through the eyes of your true friend, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus saw something that no one else saw in this world. And I hope I can get through these seven points because each one is so rich. But the joy that was set before Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross was that he was seeing something in you and I that no one else in the world saw. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus saw something. I believe that as he was on the cross, in some miraculous way, he saw each one of us. right before us, like we would think of our own family. He saw you and I, and he said, I will gladly bear the contradiction of sinners and the shame because of the joy that's set before him. That's amazing. It's amazing to look at somebody and say, I see something in you that you don't even see, and that's what's going to be the reason why I lay down my life for you. Isn't that awesome? It's good to look at people and who they are in Christ. It's good to look at your spouse or at your kids or your grandkids or other people in the church or people that you're investing in. Look at them after the way God sees them. I, when I first came to this church a while ago, um, and Pastor Hoppe asked me to take over, this is a while ago, I saw something here that God just pulled back the curtains and I, he showed me something really beautiful here. And it wasn't, you know, I was just, uh, it wasn't something that could be immediately seen, and I thought, there's a secret here. God has a secret, and God's going to do something, and he is doing something really awesome in the lives of people. Why? Because Jesus loved people. God so loved the world, John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world that he what? <coughs> took? That he took from the world? No. God so loved the world because he, God so loved the world that he what? gave his only son right that's a verse that if anybody knows any bible verse that's the verse that they know in the bible that's one of the most important verses because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and let God choose your friends if we choose our friends based on what they have to offer like Kyle said or what we need we'll rarely discover the blessings of a genuine relationship need-based relationships, and this is a key statement, think of this, need-based relationships become a curse and an end in their own. When I begin a relationship with someone because I need something from them, it's already shut down, and there's no joy and freedom in the relationship. Philippians 2 verse 3, Paul said, do nothing out of vain glory or out of selfishness. Being fulfilled in our relationships with God means that, we approach our relationships with each other full. And this is what it means that when I'm filled with my, when I'm filled and my, fulfilled in my relationship with God, I approach all of my relationships with fullness. And if I do not, then I'm going to be drawing from people, even unconsciously, I'm going to be pulling from people that which is deficit in my soul. For example, if I'm not fellowshipping with the friendship of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be pulling from people that which I need, that I'm not getting in my relationship with God. I'm going to pull it from people. Whether whatever the defect or the trend in my soul is, like recognition or pride or uh, I I need people to do things for me or whatever those uh, six languages of love that are deficit in my life, I'm going to be trying to pull that from people. And it puts a strain on the marriage, it puts strain on relationships in the family, it puts strain in relationships with other people. So friendship is, number one, the first trait of friendship is is that Jesus Christ laid down his life sacrificially for us, and we do that gladly for each other, John 15, verse 13. Laying down our lives. There's so much joy and satisfaction when we lay down our life for someone, isn't it? Very often are we going to get a thank you, but we don't we 're not in it for the thank yous, are we? If we were in it for the thank yous we 'd be long gone because nine times out of ten, maybe ten times out of ten we 're not going to get a thank you. but if we do it with the expectation that we 're going to hear at the Bema seat that day when we meet Christ when we hear him say thank you for giving to the Lord then that 's going to be worth it all isn 't it the second kind of the second kind of trait or condition of uh, characteristic of a godly friend is something that we kind of mentioned already in First Samuel 19, verse 2. And let's, let's read that together. First Samuel 19, verse 2. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill you. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. What was Jonathan saying? He was taking delight in David. David, Jonathan's friendship with David was unconditional. I love this verse, and we see this with Jesus Christ. And when we're talking about friendship, don't look at yourself in all the ways that you're failing your friends. Look at Jesus Christ and how He is your friend. John chapter 13, I believe it's verse 1 or or verse 2, it said that Jesus loved... His disciples, till the end. He said, "I loved you to the end." What does that mean? The Greek word there, "end," is "telos," and it means I loved you to the point where you were perfected, where you were you were completed. Loving people unconditionally does not demand anything from people, but it understands that people are in a process in their lives. We are in a process, and. Churches can become so idealistic in their concepts that there's no room for a grace process in a person's life. People are in a process, and God is faithful to people. We love people unconditionally. When we do that, we are watching God in a process, bring that person to a place of completion in his life. Because what God begins in a person's life, he's going to be faithful to complete, right? Amen? We can look at family members or friends or other people that we may be disappointed about their lives. Maybe someone's going through a very difficult time right now. We could be very disappointed either in ourselves or in them. The key is is that when we take on God's perspective, we understand that they're in a process, and with our prayer and our investment, we're going to see God complete that. Um, Number three. And I'm going to probably uh, finish with this one and then finish the the other four next week. Godly friends risk vulnerability and they trust God completely for us. A godly friend will risk vulnerability. The Bible says that in order to have friends, we need to show ourselves friendly in Proverbs 18, verse 24. I want to explain that verse because it can be easily misunderstood. In order to have friends, show yourself friendly. Well, that verse very often is mis is misrepresented. What the verse is not saying is, is that if I want friends, then I just be friendly to everybody. And that's the Christian thing to do. Well, it's true. If I'm a friendly person, I'm going to have friends. But true friends are, what this verse is saying is, is that If we want to have true friends, then be a true friend as it's defined here in the book of Proverbs. Showing ourselves friendly goes beyond this niceness in our personality. Here's here's the point. In the original language, the word friends was a Hebrew word, and it's spelled R-A-A-H. Now you know a Hebrew word for friends, R-A-A-H. What that says is, is that it just means friendly. But when the verse says, show yourself friendly, then the, the word changes from R-A-A-H to R-A-A. And they drop the H. And some Hebrew scholars say that, that dropping a letter at the end of the word, like the word friendly, denotes loss. From friend, R-A-A-H, to friendly, to R-A-A and no H. And what the Hebrew scholars say is is that because the H is dropped at the end, it, it denotes that there is a vulnerability and there's a loss. Sometimes we lose in friendships. Many times we lose. And we can't find ourselves standing in the rain and maybe not being thanked. Because friendship, godly friendship, means that I'm filled with something other than what this person is giving me. It's very important that every morning and every day that we're hearing the word of grace in Acts 20, verse 32, that's able to build us up. That's why in our church we have such an emphasis on the Bible, and we have events that are centered around the Bible, because we want contents in our lives as Christians. We want to be people of contents because if there's no content if there's no Word of God coming into my life every day then I'm going to be a person without content and I'm going to be a person that's living in deficit motivation I'm going to have deficit um, I'm going to have needs in my soul that are going to be I'm going to be pulling from other people and if I and, and this can very easily happen if we do not take up our cross in the morning every day and receive something from God Acts 20, verse 32, then we're not built up. We're not encouraged. We're not ready to face the day. And we, pe- we meet people. And when we meet people, we're like unconsciously saying, give me something. I need something from you. Like, say something to me. And, you know, we're always, you know, we're not always in this place where we're always built up. And there are times when we need to be built up by people. And that's the way it works in the body of Christ. But edification happens when you and I receive the word every day. That's why in Acts chapter 6 it says that they met daily. I like the idea of having a busy week. Somebody said to me last week, we're three times a week Christians. I like that because... because We are people that need to be built up. And it's not because we're trying to get money from people or become popular. I was just getting ready this morning and I thought, my passion is that people would know God and that people would be built up, that people would live healthy and healed lives in their relationships, in their finances, in their families. Because that's the way God thinks. God loves people. God wants to minister to people and this is something that if you've found yourself like this hebrew word losing something in a friendship then understand this don't live in your loneliness or your anger or your fear but just live in the presence of god paul was like this he said in 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 the latter part of first corinthians he said that um he was in a jail cell everyone had left him And everyone that was associated with him was embarrassed to be associated with him because of his his jail sentence. And he said that all have left me, but Christ stands with me. I think there's a beautiful fellowship that we have with God. When we find ourselves heartbroken or forsaken, we can draw near to God and say, God stands with me. Jesus does not forsake me. And this is where we discover the great friendship of Jesus Christ. A friend is going to have sometimes wounds in their life, godly wounds, because they told the truth, because they stood for truth, because they stood up for someone else, because they, they walked with God. And these are the type of wounds that God can comfort and heal. And I just want to finish with this that, and this is going to take longer than I thought, but this message on friendship God wants to give you a godly friend, and when we pray for friends or pray for our friends, this is what we want to pray for. We want to pray for this in our lives. Friends that will tell us the truth, that will encourage us in our calling, even though it costs some vulnerability. Today, people are afraid to get married, and this is really unbelievable. I talk to lots of people all the time, and if you've talked to me recently, do not I'm not talking about you, but people are afraid to get married today because number one, they're afraid of the commitment. And number two, they're thinking they're afraid of the financial commitment and it's just too big in their minds for them. And they, we miss so easily the joy of marriage in that there's a commitment there that if one party fails, fall flat on their face, then the beauty of marriages is is that there is a commitment there that's being held together by Jesus Christ, where a married couple can become true friends and, each, the spouse can minister Christ to each one. And that's the beauty of marriage and also the vulnerability. So we said a lot this morning, and I just want to close with that, that Jesus is our friend and that he never will leave us and he'll never forsake us. And that's why we can stick with people in the process that God has in their life to their perfection. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for Jesus, our friend.